So I'm standing on the porch of Kennedy Meadows General Store. This really is a gathering place for Pacific Crest Trail hikers because uh, we all ship in here and uh, sort all our food out and get all our equipment ready for the high Sierras. I've had a change of clothing, we're boxing stuff up, we're picking up ice axes. And there's folks just sitting around here relaxing and just getting ready before they start. It's, uh, it's an important place. We've come a quarter of the way now on our journey to Canada. We've covered 77,000 feet of ascent. Sitting down a long trestle table for lunch, cheese and biscuits. And some dog food. Oh, it's a, oh my God, <laughs> who put that there? I did actually because the cats are just about leaking on it. The cats, the cats are terrorising your Rottweiler. <laughs> yes. Our Pacific Crest Trail hike is about to enter the High Sierra. It's 2002, a time many people now regard as the classic era on the PCT. I'm Simon Willis and I'm hiking with my girlfriend Liz. This series is supported by TarpTent.com and back then we were using one of their early designs by Henry Shires. We're hoping to catch up with him in a week or two. That's if we make it through the snow and ice of the mountain passes that lie ahead. We're all aware the trail clock is always ticking. The one difficulty that I'm having with the trail is trying to complete it in one season. Oh, the push for mileage. Would, would like to have more time to spend in a particular campsite or overlooking a river or um, a view or something like that, right? And you just can't. You have to keep pushing the miles. We said, okay. This is Scott who is hiking with Rachel. We average about two miles an hour with all of our stops and pee breaks and lunches and all that, right? So. You know, doing 20 miles is a 10-hour commitment, 10 hours of hiking. That's a lot of hiking. And so, yeah, I'd like to, I mean, I'd sort of, we, we had planned originally on, you know, gee, if we get to a really nice spot, right, well, let's spend an extra day and we'll read a book. But, you know, I haven't read a book, haven't done a crossword puzzle. You know, we, we thought about taking a deck of cards and there's just, it's a job, you know, kind of. I mean, it's a great job. I mean, it's better than... We felt this ourselves. It's a great job, but it's a job. And it's hard to fix meetings as we were trying to do. You know, meeting, what was the thing we heard on meeting people on the trail? It's, you can specify either a place or a time, but you can't specify both. And I think that's kind of the deal as far as meeting folks is concerned. But... When you take a day off, you try to take a zero day, I start to get itchy feet. we got to do our miles. We're falling behind schedule or behind another day. Let's, you know, we got to be back on the trail. Yeah, we're definitely at the, the threshold of the land of water and rivers and lakes. And, yeah, this is the candy. I mean, this is the dessert. This is what we've been waiting for. This is the PCT, I think, the core. Now this is what hiking here is meant to be about. Forget all the dust and dirt and heat and sweat of the desert. It's 20 past seven in the evening, the 2nd of June. We've just come over a small col. We're at about 8,000 feet. And the sun is still managing to peek over the top of the redwoods to the left. And ahead of us, an absolutely flat, perfect, green meadow stretches away a range dark silhouetted against that setting sun and then behind them higher much higher peaks dusted with snow just catching the last rays 
and some white fluffy clouds just set the whole thing off to perfection. This is an utterly, utterly surreal moment. We are being pursued. Not by, he's coming. Not by a rattlesnake, not by a bear, but by a bird. It's like a, like a big grouse. It's about 15 inches long. It just waddled down the trail towards us and it would not let us pass. It started going for us, pecking at our ankles. And we're throwing rocks at it to miss, of course. And we're, we're ending up sprinting up a trail. We managed to get past it one at a time, squealing as we did as it tried to get for our ankles. 10,700 feet. So running is not easy. This dirty great bird has been following us now for about, that put us away, in about a quarter of a mile. What a bird with attitude. My God, I've never met anything like that before. Do you think he doesn't like hikers or what? My goodness. Worse than a bear. Well, we don't know that yet, do we? Well, <laughs> I'll tell you what. Mind if I saw one of them again. Mind you, I'll tell you what, if we react that, like that with a grouse, what on earth are we going to be like if we come face to face with a bear? Anyway, I, need, I just need a, I need a moment here. We've got about 35 pounds on our backs and we're running uphill at 10,500 feet. God, that's oh, <laughs> from a grouse. Tuesday 6th June, and our first real test in the Sierra Nevada, Forester Pass. We decided not to climb Mount Whitney yesterday, partly because it might leave us short of food, and partly because I've done it before, and Liz doesn't want to do anything that isn't strictly on the trail. At 13,000 feet, Forester Pass is the high point of the PCT. There will be snow. Hopefully, not too much, but not so little that the meltwater has made future river crossings impassable. It's always a balance, always moving forward, always with time nipping at our heels. It's uh, ten past nine and we're in, in snow. The reason for the noise is because I keep falling through the snow because I'm in the lead and I can't take more than one step before I break through into this soft stuff. Oh, I can see people. There's look, there's people. Do you think that's... Um, I, think, I think that could be John and Julie yeah, okay. and uh, Scott and Rachel. Maybe that would be my... Up here somewhere. Yeah, they could have done, couldn't they? Yeah. Hey, that's good. Somebody should take our photographs on the top. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Into the snow. So, just after 10 o'clock, we're here, 13,100 and a bit feet. And I have to say, the views are, well, I can't really describe them. For some reason, the sun seems to manage to hit both sides, yeah. both the south and the north side of this pass. And there's four other folk here who we know, Lee and Anne, John and Julie, brewing up tea. It's actually getting quite crowded on the top of Forrester Pass. <laughs> People are manoeuvring past each other. Come on, Julie, you've been asking people to speak to your camera. Speak to my little tape recorder now. You tell me about, about this view up here. 
It's fantastic. Do you want a factual description or a heart description? Try blending the two. <laughs> it's, it's phenomenal. I think it's phenomenal. Looking way, 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 way down to a really big flat expanse that has all these uh, lakes in them. There's like four or five different lakes and they're completely frozen across the top. And, are, and the lakes are, are maybe, like I'm looking at a lake that's maybe five acres big and around the edge of the lake where the ice across the top of the water meets the snow that covers the gravel all around the lake, there's a little faint robin's egg blue sort of a line between where the ice on the top of the lake and the gravel, the, the snow on the gravel meet. It's beautiful. That was an amazing climb up for me. I'm not a rock climber, and so way down at the bottom when we were looking up trying to find the route, I never could see the route. And so all I could see was that tongue of um, gravel falling yeah, down. Yeah, the chute. and that just looks so intimidating. And that's very scary to me, and I'm not a climber, so... Um, fortunately, John went ahead of us and he carved out footsteps and he carved out a place where you stick the ice axe handle down into the ice so mm. that then all I had to do was set my foot in a gigantic, already flat spot and then put my ice axe in a hole he'd already made because the ice is ice hard like you come mm. out of the freezer. Oh yeah, it's rock hard, yes. I mean, it's and like then, cement. But to me, that's very nerve-wracking. So it wasn't, but, you know, I don't know how far, 12 feet across, but yeah, that was very enough. terrifying to me. That's far. Actually, we were <laughs> so amazed really at that, that trail, though. The, the way, that, when you look down from below, you think, God, oh, it's sheer wall. Yeah. It's just cut an amazing yeah. trail up there. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Tax well, dollars I don't mind having spent to make that trail. Getting up Forester Pass turned out to be one thing, getting down the other side a little bit more difficult. And the thing was so soft, even at 10.30 when we set off, it, we were sinking up to our, to our waist at times in snow. And being very clever people, we brought our boots all the way from Scotland, these nice lightweight boots, but we didn't bring gaiters. So within about 10 minutes, the snow went straight down the tops of our boots, filled up, and we've got absolute, I mean, if you could, can you hear this, the noise? If Let me try ringing out my sock. Does this make a noise for the radio? There we go. That's the sound of two socks being wrung out. That's how wet our feet are. And the other thing is it goes on forever. The only snow on the south side was a tiny little bit just below the summit of 13,000 feet. Here, well, as I say, we left at 10.30. It's now 2 in the afternoon. And we've really only just got out the snow as soon as we hit the trees. We have been wading through it constantly. And, of course, that totally obscures the trail, so trying to work out where on earth you're going is a challenge in itself. But it's been the best day so far. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's been really good fun. It's Tuesday the 11th of June and uh, you can probably hear the reason we've stopped. The, one of the problems of coming to the Sierras fairly early is the snow. The other problem is what happens to the snow and it turns small streams that you could just hop across in August into raging torrents. We've got to take the shoes and socks off and wade. Uh, I had the presence of mind to... Uh, bring with us some, I suppose like rafting shoes. They give us a little bit more grip. Tied my shoelaces in a knot and stepping in. Oh gosh, the cold hits me. This is a wobbly rock. Yep. That pole's finding a bit of safe ground. 
sharp, sharp edge to the Oh my god, I'm losing my balance. Sharp edge to the rock. There we go. Nearly through. Uh, and, oh, safe on the other side. And the first thing I want to do is get these shoes off. Oh, oh, oh. oh my goodness. It doesn't get any warmer, this water, does it? You know, when they talk about some big river crossings further on ahead, I don't know about you, but it worries me slightly. Mm. Evolution Creek and Bear Creek, I think it is, are two big ones we will encounter, probably not tomorrow, but the day after. That's the Sierra River crossing. Now we sit and let our feet dry a bit, get the socks out and uh, wipe them down. are now whizzing our way over the surface of Lake Edison on our way to a big breakfast. We're all heading to Vermilion Valley Resort. Four years ago on this same ferry I heard about the PCT for the first time. I was hiking the John Muir Trail and thought myself intrepid to be out for three whole weeks. My jaw dropped when this PCT hiker revealed he was out for six months. I knew in that moment I'd be back and here we are. My name is Sarah. You're welcome. You have a good one. All right. Bye. You're just telling us about showers. Showers are $5 a shower. I do have a soap and towel. Four years ago, Butch Wiggs showed me around his place, and I wrote about his larger-than-life character in a few travel articles. Sadly, last year I learned that Butch had committed suicide. It seems his wife Peggy is running the place with her daughters. Have you got our boxes? How are you guys doing? These are our... Well, we've had the day here. Very good day it was, sorting out food boxes and uh, everything else. I should say we've been speaking to Peggy, and Peggy didn't want to talk. She said Butch was the kind of the front of house. He did all the entertaining, and uh, she didn't want to talk to me on this recorder. You can understand that. Yeah, it's kind of like an invasion of her privacy. Well, it's not really. It's just a conversation. No. We're having the conversation anyway. No, but you don't. You don't know who's going to be listening to it. You, when you talk to somebody, you want to choose who you, who you talk to, and that's how I feel. That's why you don't like talking to it. That's why I don't like talking into it. Because <laughs> when I talk to it, I want to talk to you, not to. I don't know who. Yeah. Tell me, what do you think of this place anyway? Because like we, we were saying before that you're not mad on all the people no, that we end up meeting. I was, I was uh, dreading coming in here because I thought it'd be like some of the places we've been in, and um, I could stay here another day quite happily. I mean, even though there's a lot of hikers here and stuff, you don't feel hemmed in. There's places to go to. You can go and sit by the lake. You can go to to wherever you're sleeping. You can sit here in the restaurant or the bar, and it, it just feels more normal. It's not so forced. Saturday, 15th June. No zero day for us in Vermilion Valley. In PCT parlance, a zero is a day with no trail miles. We hiked to Lake Edison yesterday, and today we caught the late ferry to start hiking again. We have more Sierra passes to cross if we're to be on time to meet Henry just outside Yosemite National Park. Just <sighs> up my rucksack. It is Monday the 17th of June. 
It's half past four in the afternoon, the wind's starting to get up, and we are in the middle of what mountaineers like to call a little bit of an epic here. We had one last pass to cross of the High Sierra, Donahue Pass. As is often the case, the approach trail was buried in snow. Usually it kind of reappears here and there. You can work out what route you're following. But this time, one of us, I won't say who, said, you know, why don't we just forget about the trail and just go for the pass? We really should have checked which saddle held the pass. Because we went for it all right. I went up entirely the wrong saddle. Rather than go all the way back down, and it was quite scrambly to go down, we thought we'd top it out, which we did. Got some lovely views, some fantastic bear prints. We really were in their domain. And now we're trying to uh, recover because the descent from this pass is quite tricky. It goes down quite a steep cliff uh, to a lake and we really don't want to be wandering around here. Well, it looks like we are back on track because we can see what looks like a trail and what looks like a little lake. Now, let's get the map. But we've made good time because those two guys are just coming over the rise having reached this pass. They weren't that far behind us. And they went up the right pass. So we're back on track. 11,400 feet at quarter to five. You might be able to tell it's a bit windy. It's quarter past five. We're, uh, we know where we are. We're on the trail. We're on the right trail. It's heading down to a rather nice little lake and we're probably going to camp down in that area tonight so while we can see it we don't we don't go and we don't cook and camp in the same place because those uh, those bear tracks were a warning there's big animals around here and if you cook excuse me I'm just taking my boots and gaiters off if you cook in the same place that you camp it's like an invitation really to them to come and uh, take your food they navigate mainly by their nose. They don't have very good eyesight, but they really can smell. I mean, somebody had a trunk of his car ripped open completely because there's half one of those little boxes of sun-made raisins in there. We stopped on the side of the mountain and uh, drying things off after the snow travel. And uh, this is what we're having tonight. Chili, bean chili. With? Noodles. I've got, I've got all this stuff to put away yet. Well, me no, it's all right. No, don't worry. Let, 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 me, let me do it. I won't take long. I'll do both at the same time. Okay, it's Tuesday the 18th of June and it's 1.53 in the morning. And we're wide awake because we've just had a bear visitation. Yeah, uh, we fasten our food to a tree using a system, well, using a bag called an ursac. We booby-trapped it with sticks and ice axes so that it would make a noise. And sure enough, they made a noise because a whopping great bear was trying to get at it. So it leapt out of bed, scrambled to find the torch. We could hear the tree, the, the 
sack's being pulled. He's got his claw around his sack. He's pulling, pulling, pulling. But he won't go far. He will. She or she will stay in the area. So we have to go. <coughs> that noise is Liz banging the ice axe in the tree to try to keep... Well, let him know we're still awake and he's going to get more of the same if he comes back and we have to go. And I have to stop recording now because we've got to get out of here. It's now quarter past three and we've been walking in the dark for over an hour. We figure we're probably out of the bear's territory, so we've decided to stop and wait until it gets light. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm a bit hoarse. We're yelling at the bear. Wait until it gets light and then make our way down the valley. The background to all this is that this year, Yosemite National Park said anyone who is camping out in the backcountry has to store their food in what they call a bear-proof canister. It's a plastic or aluminium cylinder. It's about, I don't know, about a foot high and eight inches wide. And the bears can't get into it. It holds about six days' food. I know of only two Pacific Crest Trail hikers who are using it. Uh, that was Pete and Ed, who we saw today. Others have sent them home because it's simply too heavy for the kind of weights that, that through hikers are, are carrying. Now, we've been in bear country for, well, almost since we started, really, on and off. We've been adopting what's generally known as the stealth camping technique, which means you don't, you don't use smelly foods, you don't cook where you camp, and you never use established campsites. Well, it was foolish because we, we broke that tripartite rule today because we we did everything the first two yeah but we actually used an established campsite and that was the mistake because the bear knows to look there once he's in the area he can smell out the food we have not used a bear canister simply like the other pct hikers because of the weight but what we have been using is something called an ursac which is uh, made from the same stuff they make stab-proof, bulletproof vests, sort of woven Kevlar, and it has um, an armoured cable. And the idea is the bear can get hold of it because you tie it around a tree, but it cannot remove it from the tree and it kind of gets claws in. Well, I have to say, I've just been having a little bit of a look at the Ursac, and he's done a damned good job. He didn't get in, he didn't get the food. That, I suppose, is the bottom line. But the point is we had to move because the moment a bear knows you are there, it will come back and it will come back, it will come back. And uh, if it's smart, and they usually are, it might have even followed us down the valley. So we have tied our food again to another tree. We're lying here, waiting for the dawn. That's something we haven't heard for a while. Traffic noise. It's Wednesday the 19th of June. And it seems rather strange actually. We're down in the town of Lee Vining. We came down here yesterday. And the strange thing was that it was the same day that we had that bear incident. That happened at about 1.40 in the morning. And then by, uh, by about noon, I suppose, we were down here in all the hustle and bustle of Lee Vining, a town which overlooks Mono Lake at the uh, entrance to Yosemite National Park. I'm meeting up with Henry Shires, the chap who designed and sewed our tarp tent that we're using. Uh, we met him, you may remember, at the Pacific Crest Trail annual Day Zero kickoff, which was crumbs now, it's two months ago. Two months yet? 
two months we've been on the trail, two months and one day. And he's joined us and we're, we're having lunch in Bodie Mike's restaurant. And uh, he's chatting with Liz at the moment, so I'll just go in. So I want to ask him what comes next on the trail. How are we doing? You're doing well. You're, you're a th over a third of the way. You're, uh, you're right on time. You're going to finish in September, no problem. Maybe a couple days behind my schedule, and the way that you've walked so far, you walk more miles per day than I do. The more people you get on here, the more challenges it's going to come with it. You've got the development disputes, you've got people. Yeah, I don't think it's, I think the trail itself can handle more people. I don't worry that the trail will get no. beaten to death by more people. starting at the same time, though. But no, no. look, we, we've been walking, how many people do we see during the day when we're walking along? No, you know, that's when you yeah. stop. You don't, because you're yeah. moving roughly. Yeah. But, but, but the challenge is, 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 is maintaining the wilderness component to this trail. No, for much of the trail, it will be many of our lifetimes before that's threatened. But there are certainly sections, and you've come through them already, that are very seriously impacted right now by development. And because of the rate of growth of Southern California, it will only go downhill from here, unfortunately. Do you think this trail will, would still have the same quality for the person? If there were the numbers of people doing it that are doing the, or we hear Appalachian Appalachian. From a wilderness aspect, no. No, I mean, it couldn't. Because it, it, the wilderness experience would be different. I just wonder whether we're going to ever be in the situation which is the beast of tourism, you know, where, you, where actually the, the industry destroys the very thing it seeks to that's celebrate right. or promote. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a good point. You wouldn't do But at the same point, you've got to bring people out here to make them realise it's worth keeping and worth looking and after. That's right, yeah. You know, if now, you don't have that awareness. That's exactly what Muir did. <laughs> now, there are a million, I mean, I don't know what the, what the numbers are. I should be careful about what I'm going to say, but, but the number of people who touch the Pacific Crest Trail at some point mm during an average year is a, is probably comparable to the, to the Appalachian Trail. And that's right. just because Sections. there's, yeah. you know, yeah. tens and tens and tens of millions of people here on the West Coast and people who come well, from all over the world come up, to Yosemite and they walk, Mount Whitney, you know, they, walk, I mean, a, they walk a little bit on the Pacific Crest Trail somewhere along yeah. the way. We've been wondering when people are going to start dropping out, haven't we, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they thin out the numbers a bit. But of course, you never see the ones that drop out. Yeah. They, 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 They've gone. I have to say, though, it sounds really... Uh, I, I'm sitting here with these headphones on, recording this conversation. It sounds really bizarre talking about a wilderness trail. And I could have had a bit of a microphone near you because the big Mac truck just went yeah. by. <laughs> Fewer than 300 people hiked northbound with us in 2002. Now numbers run into thousands. We'll learn more about how many are hiking the trail and who they are in later episodes. We'll talk to a couple who hiked the PCT exactly 20 years after we did. And we'll hear again from Henry Shires about how his homemade tarp tents have become an international business. If you're enjoying this, perhaps you'll buy me a virtual coffee. It's just a small payment to put towards the hosting costs. And if you'd like to read our 2002 trail journal, day by day on the Pacific Crest Trail, please head to pctpodcast.com, where there's a Kindle and other e-reader download for sale. There are links in the show notes. I'm Simon Willis. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.